host had left us a seed. Now, if we look this up in the book of, uh, of Isaiah, in Isaiah 1.9, here's what it says. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant. It's not talking about seed. You notice it's not capital. It's not talking about seed like it was earlier when it was talking about the Messiah. What it's speaking of now is a small remnant. Unless the Lord had left us a remnant, we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. How many people have you met today from Sodom and Gomorrah? So the point is, nobody got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah perished in judgment. God didn't leave them a seed. But does God destroy the righteous with the wicked? Does God destroy the righteous with the wicked? Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, flip over to Peter. Peter gives us a, a, a quick synopsis. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6-9. through 9, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ash, He condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And then there is this phrase that troubles me greatly. And delivered righteous Lot. When destruction came on Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened to Lot? What about you and I? Would you and I have said, man, Lot is such a righteous dude. When we read the story about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember when the angels showed up? <coughs> the, the men of the town wanted to take the angels or, and, and rape them in the town square. And so Lot brought them in and who did he try to give them? His daughters. Wow. Stellar. That is what I call a righteous man, Right? Would you call him righteous? Probably not. Who called him righteous? God did. What's that make him? Righteous. Is Lot righteous because of acts that he did? No. Why is he righteous? Because he believed God. Makes me crazy when people tell me, you know what really needs to happen to the church? Is God needs to purify her with fire. Now, do I think the church should face persecution or will? Sure. Why should the church not face? It's facing persecution around the world. But if you try to sell me this, this line that God needs to purify His church by fire, I'm going to ask you where? Show me. I can show you God purifying Israel by fire. You show me God purifying the church that way. And then I come to this example of Lot. Which, by the way, predates Israel. So don't tell me Lot's a picture of Israel. Israel don't exist yet. You got Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah living a filthy life. Does God know how to separate the righteous from the wicked? Yeah. He did it. Didn't he? He separated Lot, his wife, and their two daughters. Separated Lot, his wife, and their two daughters. And his wife could not put her hands to the plow without looking back, could she? And so what happened to her? She became a part of that judgment. And she was gone. But Lot? Lot was delivered. Not because Lot was not going to go through hard things in his life. That's not the point. The point is God knows how 
to reserve the righteous and the wicked for judgment. So we should leave it in His hands, don't you think? Can we just leave it there that God knows what He's doing and how He needs to do it? It's, it's very destructive, I think, in the body of Christ when people start throwing around uh, accusations at one another. We spend too much time shining our armor and fighting amongst ourselves to get anything done. So we need to stop. Your armor don't need to be shiny. Right, Jeff? Your armor ought to be dented, crunched, rusted. It ought to look like you've been in battle. You ever been in the, in the mud and the blood with somebody fighting? Let me tell you, you're not looking for the dude who's the cleanest. The dude who's the cleanest has not been in the battle at all. I want the guy with scars all over his face and, and a little bit of a limp who's been through the battle. That's the guy I want to fight with. Not the guy with the shiny armor. I want the guy who, who has really been in the battle. So we don't need to shine it. And we don't need to fight each other. We need to focus on what God has called us to focus on. And stop taking pot shots at each other. Keep the main thing the main thing. And move forward. What is it that God's declaring His protection over Israel? Does God know how to save His remnant? Yes. Two-thirds will perish in that final judgment of God. One-third will come through the fire. And they will be Israel. As we finish up in Romans 9.29, we then come to the stumble. What did they stumble over? Here's their rejection. They rejected. Not only did they reject the Messiah, God has rejected them. But He always has a remnant. And He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion upon whom I will have compassion. So then we come to the stumbling of Israel in Romans 9, verse 30 and 31. What shall we say then? So what do we say about this? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. First thing Israel stumbled stumbled over, the way... To righteousness. And there are people in the church still stumbling over the way to righteousness today. Israel thought the way to righteousness was by what they did. He says in the beginning, Gentiles, all the Gentiles who have come to faith, we're not looking for, for righteousness. Were the Gentiles out saying, you know, I just really want to know who the real God is when God showed Himself to them? No. God just showed Himself to them. Now, if that messes with your noodle, then you don't want to consider Paul at all. Because Paul was persecuting the church, killing Christians. I was sharing with the guys at school of ministry. Paul looked more like the dudes on ISIS that you see in YouTube videos with the black stuff on their head <clears throat> and a knife in their hand cutting off the heads of Christians than most people understand. That was Paul. He killed them everywhere he went. And all of a sudden in Damascus, God revealed Himself to Paul. For what purpose? So that he could provide a pattern to those who would believe afterwards that God is able to save Anybody, even somebody as wicked as Paul. That's kind of an amazing concept. So when we look at the stumbling, they stumbled over righteousness. Paul wasn't looking to be righteous, wasn't trying to find God. He thought he already had him. Well, what's ISIS like? 
Don't they think they already got God? And they know what their God wants them to do, and that is to kill all the Christians? Or whomever they want to kill, or whatever they got, whatever their thing is? They're not looking for God. Can God reveal Himself to them? Absolutely. Will He? I believe so. So when we look, we see they stumbled. The Jews stumbled over the concept of righteousness. How am I made righteousness? By faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. How was I righteous in the Old Testament? By faith in the work of the sacrifice which pointed to the Messiah. It's all the same. One group is looking backwards, as you and I. One group is looking forward and placing their faith in that which saves. If that's not done, I don't care what else you do. If that is done, then your life ought to look like you got hit by a truck. Because if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you think about Paul. Isis, black on his face, cutting off the heads of Christians. How did he look the day after Jesus appeared to him? How did he look the day after he got saved? He didn't look like that anymore, did he? Radical transformation in his life. Yeah, that's how we know it's real. That transformation isn't in your life. You cannot say that what you have experienced is real. You can't. Any more than I can say to you, I got hit by a truck this morning. Well, you look pretty good for getting hit by a truck. Yeah, I know. I'm bulletproof. Who knew? No, man. You get hit by a truck, you know you got hit by a truck. You get saved, you know you got saved. You know it. So we see they stumbled over the principle of righteousness. Israel's zeal was in human effort and the traditions of men. Not in the word of God and the example of Abraham. That's where it should have been. But that's not where it was. So they stumbled over righteousness. Next, they stumbled over works of the law. Look at verse 32. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. Why have they stumbled? They did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. (coughs) They stumbled. They stumbled over the concept that you cannot be saved by works. That it cannot be accomplished by deeds of the law. You cannot be good enough to appease God. There is only one way to please God. Without faith, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it is impossible to please God. Faith means you believe God is who He said He is. That He did what He said He did. That's how we please God, not by things that we do. Human performance will never make us right with God. Look at Galatians chapter 3. 10 through 14. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So anybody who is relying on the works of the law is under the curse. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in... How many things? (coughs) All things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That, by the way, is not 10 commandments. 613 commandments. 613 commandments. If you're going to live by the law, you've got to keep them all. There's lots of problems with the concept. For example, there's no temple. So you cannot fulfill much of the law because there's no temple. You can't bring your offering. You can't have sacrifices. So you can't fulfill those requirements of the law. 
If you're hoping to live by the law, you've got to do it all. But listen to verse 11 in, in Galatians 3. But no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, or but that no one is justified by the, by the law in the sight of God is evident. Why? For the just shall live by faith. What book's that out of? Habakkuk. Habakkuk is where Habakkuk's looking at God and saying, God, what are you doing? I don't understand what's going on. And God said to Habakkuk, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Habakkuk comes to realize the just, the righteous, they live their life by faith. And that's what Paul is professing as he goes through the book of Romans. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. It is written, Cursed it is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. They tripped over works of the law, that they could accomplish it through works of the law. God's plan and purpose for them became a stumbling stone. Something that they tripped over. 1 Corinthians one twenty three, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block. And to the Greeks foolishness. In Galatians 3, 21-29. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, then righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Not by works of the law. But before faith came, we were kept under under guard by the law. Kept. For the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. In the Old Testament, the law was a tutor to point them to Christ in faith in Him. Once Christ came, we have the reality we no longer needed the law. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. They tripped. They tripped over the concept of God's plan and purpose. Oh, it's not just being fulfilled by my keeping of the law. No, it's faith. You've got to believe the lawgiver. Your faith needs to be in His propitiation. His substitute of Himself for you. To make you right with God. And finally, they stumbled over the word of salvation. Look at verse 33. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion. Who laid it? God did. He said, I lay it. I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. So they stumbled over the word of salvation. The stone was set. By God. God laid the stone in Zion. Psalm 118 verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the what? Chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone. So the next thing we see 
is that the religious leaders, the builders, rejected the stone which God had laid. They rejected that plan that God had given. They rejected the salvation that was open. And they rather received the works of the law and their hope and their own abilities. So the stone was eliminated by the religious leaders. And so the stone was exalted by God. It says in Psalm 118, The stone which the builders rejected has become which? The chief of the corner. In the Greek, that word is protos. We see it in 1 Peter 2, 6-8. It says, Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Who laid it? God laid it. What did He call it? A chief cornerstone. Protos. Preeminent. The number one. The most important. A chief cornerstone. Elect and precious. And he who believes on Him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the Word, to which they also were appointed. So we see the stone is exalted by God. It is called the chief of the corner. Those who believe are received. Those who reject are disobedient. Those who believe are a vessel that is bringing honor to God. Those who reject are a vessel that is bringing dishonor to God and are preparing themselves for destruction. That's what Romans 9 is telling us about. He's laying it out for us. He's laying it out for us. This stone. The next thing we got to see is the stone is a person. And whoever believed on Him, whoever believed on Him, this stone, the chief cornerstone, He is the Messiah, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The rock which followed them, the rock is Christ. He is rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself, where? In thee. Where did the cleft come from? When the rock was smitten and the water poured forth, it created the cleft. No longer needed to be smitten again. Now it just needs to be spoken to. Lord, I believe. Let me hide myself in Thee. The cleft of the rock. The rock of ages. The rock is Christ. And... The Bible tells us in Daniel that that rock is going to fill the entire earth and become the last kingdom. You guys remember Nebuchadnezzar, right? He had a crazy dream and he wanted to find out who really was his wise guys, who was the real wise men. So instead of telling him the dream and saying, tell me what the dream means, what did he tell him to do? He got all the wise men together and says, you tell me what I dreamed last night. And what it means. And none of them could do it. All of them said, We have no idea. How are we supposed to know what you dream? Tell us what you dream. We'll tell you what it means. No. If you're really a wise man who's able to tell me what my dream means, then you should know what I dream. None of them could do it. Until he come to a, a kid 
a teenager who had been taken from the first time Babylon conquered Jerusalem. And they went through and they took all the royal children and they, and they brought them in. But they don't want those royal children to have any other kids. They want to be able to control the, the kingdom. So they take all those royal children and they make them eunuchs. They didn't have a doctor to do that. So those children would have been brought before uh, one of the, the chief eunuchs. And they would have used a big hammer. And they would have made them eunuchs when they were teenagers. I know their names. Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael. And Daniel was much beloved of God and one of the king's wise men. And when the king said, tell me what I dreamed, Daniel said, well, let me seek the Lord, for there's a God in heaven who knows what you dream. Let me ask Him. So he spent that night praying and asking the Lord. And the next day he told the king, I know what you dreamed. You dreamed about a giant statue, head of gold, chest of silver, the, the, the waist of bronze and the feet, legs of, of iron and the feet iron mixed with clay. And you saw this statue, this great statue, and then you saw a rock not cut out with hands fly in from the heavens and strike that statue at its feet and it turned the whole thing to powder. And that rock became a mountain and filled the whole earth. And the king said, Yeah, that's what I dream. So Daniel said, Well, here's the dream. The head is you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're the head of gold. There are going to be four kingdoms that come to the period at the time when the stone, which is Messiah, is going to dash all the kingdoms of the world and rule and reign. Babylon was first. Medo-Persians were second. Greeks were third. Rome was fourth. During the time of Rome, something happened. Do you remember what it was? Well, let me remind you, in 70 AD, Israel ceased to be a nation. Israel ceased to be a nation during the time of Rome, so no other kingdoms are mentioned because Israel wasn't around. But then they said there will be another kingdom, a final kingdom, made up of ten toes, of iron mixed with clay. During that time, Israel will once again be a nation. And during that time, during that kingdom, whatever that kingdom is, a lot of people got a lot of ideas. But whatever that kingdom is, the rock, Jesus Christ, is going to come back and destroy it. And He's going to set up His kingdom. And He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years of perfect peace. Revelation chapter 20. The millennial reign of Christ. His kingdom is forever. So when Paul is backing up and looking at the nation of Israel and concerning their salvation and how God's going to work with them and how God's going to accomplish the things He's going to accomplish, he wants them to realize 
God has a plan and a purpose for Israel. It hasn't passed away. God still is going to accomplish His perfect design for the nation of Israel. God will still save every single Jew who will look to Jesus Christ as their Messiah and receive Him by faith. Just like He will save every single Gentile who will look to Him as Messiah and receive Him by faith. That's all the same. The difference is, today, right now, it's the time of the Gentiles. Today, right now, there is in that group, no Jew, no Gentile, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no master. There is only church. There is just that peace. There will come a time when God will again turn His eyes to Israel. I'm not certain that that time is now. Because the church is still here. And the church still has a job to do. The church still needs to take the gospel to whosoever will. As Paul's going to describe for us as we come in to Romans chapter 10. So what's his point? Jesus Christ is the rock of my salvation. And there is no other name on earth by which men must be saved. There's only one. That plan falls its way all the way through the scripture. And if we will allow the word of God to speak. And I think we can come to those same conclusions. God will keep his promise to you because God will keep his promise to Israel. And you can know it. You can take it to the bank. It's guaranteed. God is in the business of not bringing judgment upon the wicked because he desires that the wicked would repent and live. But payday someday. Just like for Pharaoh. Just like for Judas. Just like for those vessels of dishonor storing up for themselves wrath. Judgment day will come. Praise God for this. It's not today. Today there's still time to talk to your neighbor. Today there's still time to reach a person across the street. Today there's still time to say, you know, my life is not what it should be. Today there's still time to say, you know, I need to put my faith and trust in the only name that will save me. And it's not Calvary Chapel. And it's not Baptist. Or Methodist. Or Catholic. It is Jesus Christ. That's the only name that saves. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word, for what your word declares. God, for for what your word teaches us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that our eyes will be open clearly to what you're telling us in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Because it just emphasizes what you've already told us about in Romans 1 through 8. That we are broken. And we need a Savior. We need one who can save. 
And You are the One who saves. You are able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. You are able to take this vessel that at one time only brought dishonor and to make it a vessel of honor because You're the potter. You can do what You want. All I can do is lift my hands to heaven and say, I am the clay and I submit myself to You. For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, Your Word declares it. Man is saved by faith, but a man who is saved, his life doesn't look the same anymore. He can't be satisfied in the same places anymore. He can't do the same things anymore. It bothers him to be there. He's got to go and be what it is that you've called him to be. He feels an urgency in his soul that says, I got to go. I got to tell somebody. I got to be about seeing this world saved for the glory of Christ.